damn well right better give him a contract extension. You damn well right better make him the manager over the next series of years. We use heart attack. Three. Managers on a major league. You damn well right better give him a contract extension. You damn well right better make him the manager over the next series of years. We use heart attack. Three. Managers on a major league baseball team. situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? The castration of the Major League Baseball managers, we know it. Ask me about my winner. Going on, everybody, another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. This is going to be the last show that I do without getting you know the nostalgia and the pictures back up. Uh, we've had basically a year of renovation in the studio. I'm fired up about uh, things getting back to where I could broadcast for a, from a place that I feel like is at home. I spent a little time doing some research and I'm ready to bang this out tomorrow. I got 32 NFL teams and who their quarterback is going to be in the year 2022 going into 2023. That's a tease into the tomorrow show. But what I want to start out today talking about is another one of my top 10 pet peeves. And every now and then things come up through the news cycle and they gravitate towards one of the points that I continue to harp on time after time again. And maybe from your end, you're tired of hearing it. But a situation, an unfortunate situation happened with the University of Duke. The grandson of Mike Krzyzewski, the head basketball coach at Duke in his last year, his 42nd season, his honest farewell tour, uh, ended up getting a DUI. Now, that's not my issue at all. Due process is going to happen, and if he did what is suspected, he should lose his license like anybody else. He should face whatever sanctions would be placed against the person that is caught driving under the influence. Now, you've heard me talk before and say a DUI, uh, maybe depending on how egregious it is, shouldn't result in somebody being in a, in a long-term prison sentence. But then you got the situation that happened with Henry Ruggs. He's going 150 miles an hour, ends up killing somebody while driving under the influence, and there's going to be more serious ramifications when it comes to that. My obsession or my issue is the obsession that society has in taking people down. I've said all along that people that are criticizing others for DUI offenses have driven while intoxicated themselves. And in some cases, they've gotten DUIs themselves, which makes them, of course, an an amazing hypocrite. But my issue stems from another player that was involved in this situation, Paolo Banchero, may very well be the number one overall pick when it comes to next the next NBA draft. And because of that, obviously, there's going to be an effort made by the media and people that are associated with the University of Duke, but most importantly, fans and people in the national media that are going to look to take this guy down as well. 
Now, the intention would be if there's a crime that fit the punishment, I'd be all for it. If Paulo Banchero was behind the wheel of a car and he was driving while intoxicated, then yes, I'd say feed him to the fire, you know, suspend him, have him not play college basketball, whatever, whatever you want to do if you're going to go after him from that type of punishment. The problem is, is he didn't drive. In fact, he's in the car. The police do what the fans do all the time. The police did what the media does all the time. Establishing and identifying a celebrity, in this case, a highly talented college basketball player that's likely to be picked at the top of the NBA draft next year and hit him up with all these charges to try to bring him down. Aiding and abetting in a DUI does not exist. And I don't care what part of law enforcement you're from. I don't care what, you know, Monday morning friggin' police uh, pop quiz or, you know, cliff notes you took. There's a person that's driving while intoxicated and there's nobody else in that car that's responsible for that person driving while intoxicated. Unless you have some sort of celebrity stature to your name. And Paulo Banchero is one of the best players in college basketball. And the media, the fans, and in this case, the police are going to do everything they can to take him down. Like I said, he was not behind the wheel. He did not drive this car. He was not driving while intoxicated. He was there with somebody that was. Well, if we want to make this a law, if we want to start blaming everybody that's in a car with some with somebody that's driving while intoxicated, then we want to normalize this. We want to blow this out to the national police forces across the entire country. And every person that's in a car with a person that's driving while intoxicated needs to now be arrested and charged with aiding and abetting. Because this isn't something that you just drum up to throw at somebody with a celebrity stature and a name to him. You know, if Paolo Banchero was John Pielli, this person would not have gotten an aiding and abetting ticket for somebody that they happened to be in a car with that was driving while intoxicated. That's number one. Glad I had I got that off my chest. Number two, you, you got the situation with the Mets as they're about to hire a general manager. And listen, if it turns out to be Billy Epler, I wish him the best of luck. He's going to... He's going to have his work cut out for him. Mets are in a situation where they seem to have already been operating as if the offs, they're a little bit behind this offseason. They don't have a president of baseball ops, even though Sandy Alderson's kind of overseeing that. They don't have a general manager. Obviously, they don't have a field manager, which just who, who gives a shit about that? Nobody cares about a friggin' field manager. If you do, you watch baseball go by it for the last 10 years. So, there's 29 other teams that are gearing up. You saw the Angels go out there and make a lucrative offer and sign Noah Syndergaard. You had the Detroit Tigers, who expect to be very aggressive this offseason, jumping in there and snagging himself Eduardo Rodriguez. There's discussions about Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon. Some of the higher-profile free agents are likely to sign sooner rather than later which is different from other off-seasons. If you go back to the ghost of Christmas past, if you jump into DeLorean, crack it up to 88 miles an hour, and go back to last off-season, obviously a weird one with COVID, the coronavirus, the pandemic, the whole thing, but going back in previous years, 
free agents seemed to be holding off. Teams were a little bit precautious in regards to their interest in throwing big money at free agents. But of course, we have the issue at hand with the expiring collective bargaining agreement that's coming on December 1st. So the likeliness is that the majority of the free agents are going to ink themselves to contracts which benefit both the players who want to be signed before there's any potential work stoppage and the owners that want to make sure that they don't miss out on what is expected to be a great opportunity to improve your team this offseason. You got the shortstops, which you've heard me talk about. Seager and Correa and Simeon and Trevor Story, Javier Baez, obviously Freddie Freeman, when it's not such a certainty that he's going to return to the Atlanta Braves. Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Marcus Stroman. The majority of these free agents are going to be signed sooner rather than later, which, like I said, don't discount, you know, discount the 2020 offseason. It's kind of a weird one. Prior to that, teams were waiting. Agents were waiting. Players were waiting. It's going to benefit the players, number one, to be signed before December 1st, especially if there's a work stoppage. And it certainly benefits the owners uh, and front offices of squads that may miss out on said free agents. I'm bringing this up as this pertains to the Mets for this reason. The Mets still have not committed themselves to who's going to run their baseball department. And regardless of what you hear about Sandy Alderson, yeah, he's kind of he's engaged. He went to the GM meetings. He took a small contingent of people from the Mets front office with him. They're making calls. I think they're operating as if they're behind the other 29 teams. The other 29 teams know exactly what their identity is. The other 29 teams know exactly what their interest in addressing this upcoming offseason. The Mets don't because the Mets have not hired anybody to run their baseball department. Let's say it's Billy Epler. Okay, well, maybe the Mets and Sandy Alderson interviewed Billy Epler. Maybe Steve Cohen interviewed Billy Epler. Maybe there was some great dialogue on what the expectations for the New York Mets future is going to be. Well, you don't know him that well. And, uh, you know, to have him preside over the rest of the Mets baseball operations department and put a plan into place in regards to how they're going to address this offseason, it takes time. And it's certainly, it's time that does not start until the second that this person is hired into the job that they're going to have. So assuming Billy Epler takes this job, He's going to have to assemble his crew. With Within this crew, they got to come up with their, their ideas of how they're going to address this offseason. So you watch as Noah Syndergaard signs with the Angels. Probably, and even, even if he didn't come back to the Mets to give them a, a final offer to match, which is being reported, how are the Mets actually in it when they don't know exactly what their plan is going to be this offseason? That's number two. Next thing, I look at the MLB award system as it's as it's set up, and you follow, you followed over the last several years a handful of seasons where the first three or the top three in each award is voted on during the regular season, a procedure by the way which has gone on forever. But rather than just announce who the winners of the individual awards are. Baseball has tried to drag this out a little bit. So we throw the top three in there and we call them quote unquote finalists. Well, 
you obviously have to know the little things about the process and the fact that the awards are voted on once the season's over. So there is no finalist. There is no three people that it only comes down to. And a lot of fans are deceived by that to begin with. Now, that's not the major issue to me. The major issue is the over-dramatizing of awards that in five years, a lot of us aren't even going to remember who won the individual awards. We are looking to draw more programming. And I think you know the MLB Network has done a good job with this. And obviously, if you follow the NFL Network and even the NBA Network, which, by the way, probably isn't getting enough credit for the programming that it has on it, have divulged into their particular sports and probably need a way to over-dramatize different things that are going on over the course of the sport. I understand. You know, the Major League Baseball season is the longest amongst the major sports. There's six months of regular season games plus another month, in some cases, month plus of postseason. Spring training is a full month. So you're talking about right there maybe eight and a half months of the entire year where there's actually baseball games being played. And if you're going to look to fill some programming in regards to a schedule, you're going to need to do something for the other three and a half months. Well, the other three and a half months, you, you got the month from February to the beginning of spring training where you're previewing your teams. You got the couple months where there's free agency and activity, the GM meetings, the baseball winter meetings. Do you really need to draw to grow and blow these awards out like you can't get enough baseball throughout the year? Even the die-hardest of die-hard baseball fan has had enough. I, I just think baseball has gone, I, I don't know, in a, in a direction where I don't, I don't really care about the pre-shows to break down three candidates, one of whom has already been chosen for the award. In fact, I would rather it just be announced, hey, the MVP is this guy. The rookie of the year is this player. The manager of the year is this manager from this team. To me, it would just be a little, uh, I just think it would be a little more smooth. Why are we giving credit for the second and third place finishers? And when in many cases, the second and third place finishers didn't receive many first place votes to begin with. We make it out to be a lot closer than it is. Then you find out that the, the winner ends up getting 29 of the 30 votes. Following Monday Night Football, and I'm going to jump into this for a second, you think of Monday Night Football at one point saving football and growing its popularity. And for, for those of you that don't know very much about Monday Night Football, other than the fact that there is a game scheduled every Monday night, it at one point actually saved professional football on a national level. There was a guy by the name of Howard Cosell, one of my heroes in the business, one of the many sports casters that I've looked to emulate. And if there was one I was going to choose to want to be like, it would be Howard Cosell. And he never played, but he brought some charisma and, and character and just bravado to a broadcast that you hadn't seen in professional sports before. Prior to the likes of Howard Cosell, the play-by-play -play person was just describing what was happening on the field. Hey, you know, 
Otto Graham gives uh, the handoff to so-and-so, and he runs in for the touchdown. Uh, you know, Joe DiMaggio hits a high fly ball to center field, going back to the track at the wall, and it's over the fence for a home run. And that's basically what you're used to, the narration of a game as it's in play. Howard Cosell brought something extra to it. He brought some commentary. He would rub people the wrong way, but it would create a tension for a sport that at the time was still a little bit behind baseball. Part of pro football becoming the national pastime, now listen, gambling number one, fantasy football number two, but one of the ways that led football to be in a position to take over as the national pastime was the emergence of Monday Night Football. And a lot of it had to do with Howard Cosell and also with Frank Gifford and Don Meredith in the early part of the 1970s. Monday Night Football became a household event. It became a destination. It became something that the national audience and in some cases non-football fans would gravitate towards and turn on. Now, you've watched it get watered down over the years. It was still, in my opinion, pretty strong in the 90s when Gifford was still there. And of course, you know, Meredith and Cosell were both gone by that time. Cosell dying in 1995. Meredith, I believe, a little bit later. So there's Frank Gifford, now Michaels, who is one of the greatest sportscasters in the history of pro sports. And Dan Deerdorf, which is what kind of what I grew up watching. And then obviously there was generations after that with John Madden and Pat Summerall and Chris Collinsworth and eventually Al Michaels before they ended up switching to ESPN. But the problem was that Monday Night Football got such a boost in ratings from the commentary that was led by Cosell and contributed to by Meredith and Gifford that over time it kind of became stale. Professional football as an entity grew, but the Monday night broadcast started lacking. It started lacking in attention. It started lacking in ratings. And in all honesty, you know, by the time ESPN starts carrying it, it's just another game. The ratings for the Thursday night games, which have, have, have emerged over the last couple of years, uh, are probably higher or at least at the very same as the Monday night games. Sunday, you get to watch games at 1 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 8 o'clock. You weren't able to do that in the 1970s, even in the 1990s. You may get a local game here and there, but there wasn't a guarantee you were going to be able to watch a live television game on channel, you know, at 1 o'clock, 4 o'clock, at 8 o'clock. So Monday night was still something that was important. It was a national game. No matter who it was that was playing, you had a chance to watch. Well, it's watered down now. Very little is being brought to through the commentary and almost to a, fault, to a point where it's not the fault of the host. You look at Steve Levy and uh, you know Brian Greasy, and and it's not like it's not like they're not bringing anything. It's just not the same. So you've followed over the last oh this season, Peyton Manning and Eli Manning have gotten together and they do their own broadcast, which is held on the same network, by the way. So ESPN is competing with themselves in this regard, but it's bringing a little something different. 
You got two future Hall of Fame NFL quarterbacks with four distinct guests given kind of a side discussion of the game that's going on, which to me is revolutionary, but also kind of brings you back to the days of Cosell and Meredith and Frank Gifford when there was more to the broadcast than just the game that was going on. And I've said this, and I'll say it again. Monday Night Football might very well be saved by the Manning cast. The Manning cast, my guess is if the ratings continue to go up and ESPN is smart enough, they're going to make the Manning cast the Monday Night Broadcast next year. And it might very well save something that's been extremely watered down over the past 30 years. So last thing I, I felt the need to address because I thought this was one of the silliest things I heard coming out of the Monday night, I'm sorry, the, the Sunday slate of NFL games. Eagles beat up on the Denver Broncos. And the Broncos, they're a little bit up and down. You know, they could go out there and destroy the Cowboys just a couple weeks before and then watch as a Philadelphia Eagles team could come in and really have their way with them. Now, there's been discussion about the development of Jalen Hurts. Um, I I question whether he's going to be a long-term NFL quarterback, but I believe he deserves a shot. He deserves a chance to continue to grow. He deserves a chance to get better. His performance against the Denver Broncos was certainly something that he could put as a notch on his belt. One of the silliest things I've ever heard was was some, and, and and I don't even know where it came from, I tried to source this. I tried to find down the person that actually said it. And outside of a couple John Q Twitter followers, I didn't see anybody with any esteem or name handed to them that believed that the mile-high altitude helped Jalen Hurts and his ability to complete the football. Now, listen, his completion percentage is not up there, up to par with the top NFL quarterbacks. And he had a very good game against the Denver Broncos, a a defense that, by the way, is getting used to not having Von Miller. So I I, I think that's something that would behoove or help Jalen Hurts. But can we give the guy credit? But here's the other element that kind of bothers me as much as the first point I made when I started this show this morning about Paulo Banchero and the University of Duke and him getting... Uh, cited for aiding and abetting a DUI just because he happened to be a passenger in a car with somebody that was driving under the influence. Here's the part that bothers me. We like to normalize things to make it like the general public is saying this, like everybody's saying this. Who the hell said that Jalen Hurts can only throw well because the altitude in Denver And if it isn't anybody that's just, you know, random John Q football fan, then who the hell cares? We'll be back with you tomorrow. This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you, of course, by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. During that stretch, when they won five games and lost three games, The games they lost, they scored zero, one, and three runs. A very good possibility that if Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. How come you're only looking at a certain amount of money that gets rewarded? 
to a particular franchise as we hit the halfway point here in the past ball show. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. Now they come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. It'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I can drive out of the park. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Especially you prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer and Bucky Harris. side of the spectrum they're on. Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and the ball got inside to hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if, if you were a fan of the team that was batting and the ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. Anything wrong in this situation. He took a pitch in the back. He got beat for crying out loud. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion. 